The baseball great of the middle of the last century, Mickey Mantle, lived a life marked by alcoholism. And as his life came to a premature end at age 63, he was painfully aware of opportunities squandered. In his final press conference, days after receiving a liver transplant in 1995, Mantle spoke with regret. Although I've heard people say that they'd like to have my heart, the truth is it's never been used, he said. God gave me everything, and I just... God gives us a life of dimension. Ephesians urgently wants us to know about the breadth and the length, and the height, and the depth of the love of God. But too often, too many of us want none of it. Washington Post executive editor Marty Barron gave a lecture recently where he asked in regard to the times in which we are living today, how was it that so many people believed things that were untrue even though we could document they were false? How was it that websites created overnight could successfully disseminate falsehoods and crackpot conspiracy theories, suffering no consequences for deliberate deceit and instead gaining audience. <clears throat> to answer, Barron points to Neil Postman's 1985 book, Amusing Ourselves to Death. While the public worried most about an authoritarian world as envisioned by George Orwell's 1984, Postman believed the future most imagined by Aldous Huxley's brave new world was far more likely. Orwell feared that the truth would be concealed from us, he wrote. Huxley feared the truth would be drowned in a sea of irrelevance. Orwell feared we'd become a captive culture. Huxley feared we would become a trivial culture. We have been offered nothing less than the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of God and our world in its preoccupations and its distractions, in its politics and in its discourse, in its conceit and in its prejudice, appears to want none of it. Our text from Ephesians 3 is a prayer. It serves as a hinge in the letter of Ephesians between the descriptions of what God has done by gathering up all things in Christ, breaking down dividing walls of hostility, creating in Christ one new humanity, and the last three chapters, which instruct readers what we are to do in response. The hinge is coming to know the full dimensions of the love of God, breadth, length, height, depth. This love is not to be described let alone lived as a hypothetical. It is easy enough to talk about God while remaining comfortable within our contemporary intellectual climate, Christian Wyman has written. Even people who would call themselves unbelievers often use it as a ready-made synonym for mystery. But if nature abhors a vacuum, Christ abhors vagueness. If God is love, Christ is love for this one person, this one place, this one time-bound and time-ravaged self. The breadth of the love of God implies that we too often perceive the field for love's vision too narrowly. 
A few months ago, Britain's government acted to appoint a government official in charge of loneliness. Far too many people, Theresa May said in a statement, loneliness is a sad reality of modern life. I want to confront this challenge for our society and for all of us to take action to address the loneliness endured by the elderly, by carers, by those who've lost loved ones, people who have no one to talk to, no one to share experiences with. Currently in Japan, People who are short on relatives can hire a husband, a mother, a daughter, a grandson. Two years ago, Kaz Nishida, a Tokyo businessman in his 60s, started renting a part-time wife and daughter. His real wife had died recently. Six months before that, his daughter and he had an argument and she left, not to return. I thought I was a strong person, Nishida said, but when you end up alone, you are very lonely. He still went to work every day, still had friends with whom he could have a drink or play golf, but at night he was completely alone. He thought he would feel better over time. He felt worse. Nishida contacted a family rental agency and placed an order for a wife and a daughter to join him for dinner. The cost was the equivalent of about 370 American dollars. The first meeting took place at a cafe. The wife asked Nishida for details about how she and the daughter should act. Nishida demonstrated the characteristic toss of the head by which his late wife used to rearrange her hair and told of his daughter's playful way of poking him in the ribs. Then the women started acting. The rental wife called him kazoo, just as his wife had done, and tossed her head to rearrange her hair. The rental daughter playfully poked him in the ribs. An observer would have taken them as a real family. A study in this country last month named millennials as the loneliest of all our massively lonely generations. The study warned that loneliness has proven worse for health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And nobody wants to talk about this. There are distances, large and small, where we are not bridging painful gaps. The love of God is broad, so wide. It is so wide as God intends it. That pain, those gaps cannot remain. The love of God also has a particular startling length. Ephesians implores us to consider how far we will look as the destination for God's love. In the same week that ABC canceled Roseanne Barr's TV show after Barr sent a racist tweet about Valerie Jarrett, Harvard researchers published a study reporting that far from the 64 estimated deaths because of Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico, the actual number of deaths was closer to 6,000. In that one week in May, cable news gave almost nine hours to Roseanne Barr. They gave less than 10 minutes to Puerto Rico. The temptation is to assume that the love of God won't go as far or as long as we hope against hope it would, or 
The fear is we are afraid that the love of God will disrupt and dislocate and discomfort us in its long reach toward others. Well, it does. And it will. And it can. But we have gotten adept at choosing where and with whom love can go the distance and where we will rein it in and protect it. It's not unusual for the walls of kindergarten classrooms to be plastered with colorful posters. But a poster in a Somerville, Massachusetts school this spring didn't have anything to do with learning your ABCs or washing your hands. Handwritten in multicolored markers are words to go with the tune Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. As kindergartners there were taught to sing, Lock down, lock down, lock the door, shut the lights off, say no more. Go behind the desk and hide. Wait until it's safe inside. Lock down, lock down, it's all done. Now's the time to have some fun. There is no length to which the love of God will not go. There is no length to which the love of God will not go. There is no length to which the disruptive, dislocating, discomforting love of God will not go. Take all our arguments, right and left. Take all our policies. Take all our postures in the air all around us today. And let's go stand in that classroom, post-Parkland, post-Sandy Hook, post-Columbine, And then let us painfully discern together how we live this long love today. God's love needs to go a long, long way, a longer, longer way in our world. There's breadth and there's length, and then there's the height of the poem by U.S. Poet Laureate Tracy K. Smith. Is God being or pure force? The wind or what commands it? When our lives slow and we can hold all that we love, it sprawls in our laps like a gangly doll. When the storm kicks up and nothing is ours, we go chasing after all we're certain to lose, so alive, faces radiant with panic. Ephesians tells us it's not enough to understand the dimensions of the love of God. That understanding drives us to our knees in awe and wonder. It is the mystery by which we worship the God of all creation. Mystery, Flannery O'Connor once wrote, is the great embarrassment to the modern mind. But we cannot live, we cannot love, without mystery. The mystery that in Christ Jesus there is now peace between God and those previously estranged from God. The peace between those hostile to one another. Ephesians does not believe this mystery can be discovered. It can only be received from God as we experience the vast dimensions of God's love. Trusting this vastness, let alone acting upon it, finds us wrestling between life as we know it and hope. 
during the first full year of the Civil War upon her brother being drafted, Emily Dickinson wrote, at least to pray is left, is left, O Jesus in the air. I know not which thy chamber is, I'm knocking everywhere. Thou stirrest earthquake in the south and maelstrom in the sea. Say, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, hast thou no arm for me? And just like that, we've moved in mystery from the height of the love of God to the depth. As a game warden chaplain in Maine, Kate Bracerup finds herself responding to all manner of outdoor tragedies. Usually, she's there to attend to those lost in the woods or victims of snowmobiling accidents. Mostly, she's dealing with victims of frailty or foolishness, but not long ago, she was summoned to a crime scene of violent malice. A few days before her call to the scene, a man was, taking, was talking to his friend and announced that he and his estranged wife and children would soon be reunited. The friend didn't think much of this. He thought they were all going to give it another try, so he let it pass. A day or two later, a man brought a shotgun to his ex-wife's house, and he shot her. And he shot his daughter. And he shot his son. And then he turned the weapon on himself. As the first urgent calls for help went out, game wardens were closest, so they arrived and secured the scene. And Kate Braestrup, the chaplain on duty, was also called. When she arrived, there was already yellow crime scene tape all around the red little house. Everybody had a little bit of information, but all of it together didn't help understand things. The murdered woman was a kindergarten teacher at the local school. One of the paramedic's sons was in seventh grade with the murdered daughter. One of the deputy's kids was in the woman's kindergarten classroom. She was the one that taught her child to tie her shoes. She was wicked nice, the deputy said. Finally, a van from the funeral home arrived, and two guys in shiny black suits got out, and the medical examiner came out of the house to meet them. Kate Bracerup intercepted him and said, Dr. David, would it be okay if I said a blessing for each of the bodies as you bring them out before we transport them? Now, she was prepared to explain this. She was ready to say that she was there to provide support and comfort for the family, but there was no family. They were all gone. Or she was there to support all the officers who were standing around with their faces carefully blank, forestalling their own rage and their own grief that they might bring justice. But what justice are we going to bring from this? The murderer murdered himself. Dr. David, I want to retrieve this moment from evil. I want to redeem it. I want to grab hold of it and pull it back. Pull it back for God. Pull it back for all of us. As it turned out, she didn't need to explain any of this. They had worked together a lot before. And he was used to her asking this, and so he just said, absolutely, absolutely. So the first body bag was brought out and put on the gurney, and Dr. David said, all right, everybody, Kate's going to pray. And with that, the deputies and the paramedics and all assembled folded their bloody gloved hands and bowed their heads, 
And Kate stepped forward to the gurney and she asked, this is the head end, right? She raised her hand, prepared to place it on the head end of the body. When Dr. David said calmly, you do know that's the shooter. One of the deputies told her later that he saw her hand stop frozen in midair above that body bag. And he told her, I wonder what you were going to pray. Because all I could think was, sorry, you bastard, you're on your own. And she had to admit it took everything in her not to snatch the hand away. And then she added, so have we found it? Have we found the threshold at which God's love stops? God's love, translated as it must be through our hands and through our voices. And if not at this, then at what moment can we honestly say that love no longer makes its absolute, implacable, and holy demand love one another. Those last few inches of a hand ready to pray into such horror, those last few inches between intention and blessing into such brokenness, those last few inches are always the space where you and I decide if the love of God is as broad and as long and as high and as deep as we hope against hope it is. Now, our inches of decision about the love of God may never be that dramatic. But if we measure God's love, all of it, all of it and close the distance with our hands and with our voices that is exactly when and that is exactly where we may come to understand the power of the one working within us the one who is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ever ask or ever imagine